today. Hey, we're continuing our series um, on overcoming. Uh, just before I start, if I could, just shift gears for one minute. Um, today is all about breaking the cycle. So, if regularly on Sunday you catch up your Clash of Clans level, get your news updates and your face updates during the message, can I suggest one thing for this Sunday that, that maybe might start a new pattern for you going forward? That if when we do this series, as we kick off this series, as God's speaking into our lives through me, not, not that my words are particularly awesome, but this is God's time. It's sacred. And so I want to ask if, if you could, because we're going to be doing today, reauthoring, breaking that cycle. If today you could maybe commit, as I open us in prayer, if you could commit that you would not do the same thing that you do every Sunday. If you do listen, and you, then maybe this Sunday, take notes. If you do take notes all the time every Sunday, maybe write down new ideas and other things that aren't exactly in the notes that God is speaking to you and be super attuned to the Holy Spirit during this time. Like I, I know that the kids, they're very, very young kids in the service, right? But all of us who are not very young kids, we actually don't need to be super distracted in the next, what, like 40 minutes. I think we can give God and His Word a really, really good hearing. Father, we thank You for this time. We consecrate it for you. We set it apart for you, Lord God. As we speak, as we learn from uh, the life of Joseph, from the book of Genesis, Lord God, I pray that you would transform our lives. We give you full attention today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's do a quick recap of our series. Uh, we're broadly asking the question, what do we do when life hurts us? And as we found from the first session, as many of us already know in life, um, suffering and pain is a very normal part of our life. Um, so uh, and we, we covered also last week that it's possible for two people to have the same event happen to them and for them to respond very differently. Um, how we handle the hurts of life and the traumas that we face have a great impact on our future on our life here and beyond. Um, we covered uh, the, the goal of the series, just really quickly, is to do three things. We want to hug the biblical narrative. So we're gonna, we've got an anchor verse that we're following, and we're, we're looking in particular at Joseph's life. So number two is Joseph reflected Jesus Christ. In fact, I would argue that at the, he's the pinnacle at the end of the book of Genesis, and he's so closely represents Jesus, that theologians think he's a type. So that pattern of, of all kinds of evil gets done to Joseph, yet he, at the end of this story, is a blessing to many, many people. That's Jesus, who has all kinds of evil done to him, and in the end, has victory and becomes a blessing to many, many people. So number three, we're, we're going through this series, and we're looking um, it, at it with a model called Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, um, which it's just kind of 
don't read too much into it. It's just a quick acronym for us to remember the series and to remember the kinds of things we want to do when life hurts us. So last week, the title of the sermon actually was called Mosaic. And um, it, what, do we, what do we do when, we, when our vase is broken and we can't build it back again, right? So we looked at these, um, uh, the importance of truth-telling and, and, and really understanding and taking stock that, hey, we might never get back the idyllic childhood that we wanted to have. Joseph was never, ever going to get back brothers that loved him. Even if they said, oh, we love you, at the end, he'll always think, maybe it's because I'm very rich and powerful now, and you really need me. He'll, he'll never have that childhood because he was sold into slavery when he was really young. So some things break. It's possible for us to grow through the trauma that, got, uh, that happens in our life. And then also we learned last week that we are not God. So Joseph says he is not God. Today we're focusing, to the, the broad title for today's session is reauthor. And I know it's a little bit of a technical word, but I'll try and explain it. It means to change the story of your life, to rewrite what has happened to you doesn't have to be the full story of your life. It's just the past. Uh, our anchor passage in Genesis 15, 19 to 21 is, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God. That sentence was what we did last week. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That is the sentence for us today. Next week we're doing, so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As you heard from last week, this passage comes really at the very end of the book. It's the last chapter of Genesis and Joseph has actually um, gone through all of his hardship. He's overcome it. He's in a place where he's already blessed uh, his family, and yet they're still doubting whether or not he's holding a grudge. Because, as you will see from uh, today's session, that the cycle of hurt is very real. His brothers still doubt whether he actually intends good, because all they're used to seeing is evil being repaid by evil. They really can't believe that somebody would repay it uh, with good. We're looking at the Thrive model. Somebody said, oh, I should have said what the whole acronym stands for last week, but it's a mystery. T is taking stock, right? So you begin, you take stock, honest, truth-telling stock of what's happening in your life. That honest, truth-taking stock needs to include the fact, needs to include the fact that it is actually possible to grow even after terrible things have happened to you. And so H is harvesting hope. The way Joseph harvested hope, which we covered last week, was he said, am I in the place of God? 
He has a hope, understanding that he's not God. He's not in control of the whole world. He doesn't get to say how all of life and everything in the whole world works. He can, he can live in a world where he doesn't get all of his hopes and dreams. He doesn't get all the things that he wants. He doesn't get the, the career that he uh, imagines uh, to be. Because he knows God is in control. And so he harvests hope in God who is good. Uh, today, we're going uh, to cover then the next two parts of that acronym. R, which is reauthoring, and I, which is um, identifying change. Broadly, I want to talk about, I, I want to try and cover this as quick as I can. Um, what you have to understand is the Joseph story is not a fairy tale. As we said last week, all of Genesis is the precursor to the Joseph story. Read through the book of Genesis. There are all kinds of evil, terrible, terrible things that happen in the book of Genesis. Much like in this world, all kinds of terrible things happen. And what you see in Genesis, which we now see today, is what I'm going to describe as the cycle of hurt. The cycle of hurt. Just as Joseph's brothers felt like their par his parents were prejudiced against me. Oh, you got favoritism. You don't love me. So they felt justified to hurt their brother. They're like, you wouldn't believe the kind of injustice that happened in my life. Oh, whatever. And then they inflicted hurt on their brother. It's like the joke that, um, that uh, I only know a few jokes. And they're not as funny as Roger's, which are not funny, so mine's are even worse. Um, you know, uh, it's like that joke with a dad, you know, and he, he has a really rough day at work, right? He goes in to his boss, and his boss scolds him for being lazy, and why are we not hitting sales targets? And so he comes home, and he's, he's had a very miserable day. And he, he gets home, and his wife is like, so he sits down on the couch, he's watching TV, and his wife is like, I have been slaving all day. Why, why do you just come back and watch TV when you, and he's in a really bad mood, right? So he blasts his wife. He's like, oh, you're terrible. And he just lets go because he's in such a low state. And then his wife, who's been working all day, uh, managing the kids who've been all over the place, but maybe she's also working on the side with a part-time job. She just had it because what, she's been so busy. He comes back, blasts her. And so, so then when the kid comes out, she lets loose on the kid. Why are you so lazy playing computer games all day? Because she's really already in a really bad mood. And so this kid, he comes out, and, and he's already had a rough day, right? Like, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough life being a kid, you know? And, and his mom is scolding him. So it's like, oh, this is a miserable day. It's a miserable day. And, but, but, but the kid is like all the way down in the, high, the chain, in the chain of a hierarchy, right? So he's got like nothing to do, so he kicks the dog. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> At least it's not uh, politically incorrect. Okay, anyway, except for dogs. We love dogs. We love dogs. Okay, um, but this is the cycle, right? This is the cycle of hurt. Because the person who hurt you, maybe, you can't reach them. So you're just going to hurt somebody else because you're in a pretty bad state. All right? Um, hurt people, I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, heard it said, like hurt people 
hurt people. That's what's come out with all the studies on bullying and, and the like. You look into the life of a bully, right? And, and what drives these kinds of people? It's because they themselves have been hurt. Um, it's so prevalent. I think when you read Genesis, that's kind of what you get. The repaying of evil. One, one conquers another. One army fights another army and then they, they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 1 Peter 3.9 says this about, uh, it's in the New Testament, it's about the Christian life. And, and it goes like this, do not repay evil for evil. Why, why, is, why does Peter, the, the founding father of the church, why does he have to say do not repay evil for evil? Because if you leave it alone, most people <laughs> repay evil with evil. That's kind of the way it runs. But Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called. Called. Ecclesia means called out once. That's the, that's the Greek word for church. We were called out to be different. Uh, that you may obtain a blessing. Today, we want to look at re- authoring. Reauthoring means that you take active steps to change that cycle of hurt. That means as the story gets told, uh, the father to the mother to the kid to the dog, whatever to you, you go, hey, it stops with me. Hey, this is the generation that, that, that stops the abuse of kids in churches. Hey, 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 this is the generation that stops the injustice uh, for women. This is the generation that stops this. This is the, it stops with me. Reauthoring means that as the cycle just continues on and perpetuates from generation to generation, from person to person, you go, hey, I know it's not fair. I, I know I'm fully justified to let loose. Because you know what? Evil has been done to me. You intended evil. I get it. But reauthoring means that you say that second part. Yeah, 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 but that's not God's story. I know you intended all of this, but ha-ha, you are not the writer of, world, of the world's history. Ha-ha, you are not the writer of how my life is going to go. This person who's doing evil to you. You stop it, and you go, but God in, is going to use these things for something else that you never imagined. That you could not even comprehend. There is a different story in my life and it has not been written yet. That's what reauthoring is about. Alright, now I just want to be really honest with you. Right, All walks of life can reauthor. We're not talking about something that is just solely linked into the realms of Christianity alone, right? Like, oh my goodness, I could tell you a hundred stories, but I'm going to tell you a Disney one. <laughs> you know, just to say that, you know, like, rising up from calamity and problems is not something that is just, you know, only very mature Christians and, and senior pastors can do, but everybody else is tough luck for all of you, you know? Like, um, uh, you've got, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of, of Disney's, like, really famous cartoon, Oswald. No. <laughs> it was actually his, his first big cartoon. 
uh, Oswald the rabbit was the f uh, uh, competed against Felix the cat and various other types of um, cartoons and made it really big. That's what Disney made its initial monies uh, on, right? And um, there's this very fateful train ride where he, he goes to New York to renew Oswald with, with Charles Mintz uh, from Universal. We renew Oswald for another season. And lit, unknown to him, Mintz, who's also the villain of Up, um, Mintz backstabs Disney. Behind his back, he has already secured all of Disney's animators and signed them onto Universal. He's also got lawyers to look through the intellectual property and discovered that Oswald belongs to Universal and not Walt Disney. So he gets there and he says to Walt, hey, you're going to have to work for half price or else you're out. And Disney, like when he went there, he thought, oh, everything's going on the up and up. But he just lost his biggest client, his biggest property, right? And Disney goes, well, you know what? You can take Oswald. And oh my goodness, they walked off. Universal walked off with Oswald the, the rabbit, and Disney walked off with Walt Disney. And in the train, on the way from New York back to L.A., that long train ride, he goes, you know what? I, it's, I've lost it all. I've lost all his animators are gone. His, his major cartoon is gone. Everything's all. And he goes, you know what? That's not the end of the story of Walt Disney. In fact, it's so far in the beginning, most people don't even know that story. And at that train ride, he comes up with Mickey Mouse. Okay? So he goes, I can draw another cartoon. I tell you what, whatever it is, if you still have breath, you can still live another day. Whatever Satan has taken from you, he hasn't taken you. Right? And so, like to me, that's like just one random story, right? But... There are people, who are you writing your life with? Who are you partnering with to write your life? Some of you are partnering with Satan to write the story of your life. Or there are others that are like Walt Disney and they are writing the story of their life themselves. I am the master of my own fate. You know, like Invictus or whatever it is. Like, I can, I can decide my own future. Brilliant. Maybe you can. What I've seen is all of us fall short at some point. Maybe we're not as epic as Walt Disney or whatever it is. Sometimes we, in partnering with ourselves to write our own story, to come up with our own motivation and our, our own energy to go ahead, we run dry. I want to put it to you that there is a third person that you can author your life with, and that's God. I think that's the big differential between people who just, all they see is this world. And so it's dog eat dog and every man for himself, every woman and child for themselves. And a Christian who goes, well, I've got God. He's also writing the story of my life. Just as evil gets done to me, God can also be on my side. God can be with me as I go through all of these things. But here's the thing you need to understand. If you are, and I want to talk for a minute about what it's like to co-author your life. When I say co-author, like I mean, 
I'm using a metaphor of writing the things that happen in your life. We, as human beings, we now know that we make sense of the world through stories. We know that. So how you look at your life, you tell stories to yourself of what your childhood was like, what your marriage is like. You tell stories. You remember, oh, my, my, my job is terrible because, and then you've got five or six stories in the back of your head to explain why your job is terrible because my boss does this, because this is the stuff that happens, right? And so there's really, we think in stories. That's why Genesis has been so powerful for thousands and thousands of years. We still remember the stories uh, of Genesis. But here's what it's like when you co-write with God. It took a long time to write this. God's story does not look like the one you write for yourself. I was almost not going to write those words. Because I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe there's, a, there's a subset, you know, of Daniel comes up with an amazing vision for his life. And it so happens to coincide with exactly God's plan for his life, exactly in every, in every way. And Daniel lives out his life as he imagined, simultaneously as God imagined. I thought about it. I don't think that even exists. That is like the likelihood of a two-year-old in your family partnering with you and working out and his life turning out exactly the way the two-year-old imagined life to be. We just got to be more humble. The world's telling us that we can just figure it all. You can get the job you want. You can get the wife you want. You can get the house you want. You can get the car. You can get the career you want. And we write these fairy tale type stories that are not the stories that God writes. So why is it that God would partner with Joseph and his life has him sold into slavery? And that he is falsely accused and sent to prison. Why is it that there is so much suffering in his life? Because I'll tell you what, Joseph sitting down writing that story, he's not writing that. Joseph's not sitting down going, oh, this is going to be the story of my life. Let me write the last chapters of Genesis. It would look nothing like what God written. And in case you think God is a really, really bad God, let me just tell you the, about the kinds of stories that God writes. Because there's Joseph, then there's Jesus. Then there's Jesus. I want us all to rethink how we imagine our lives to go forward. Because some of you are walking exactly in God's plan and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so far out of God's plan because I didn't get my dream job, I didn't get my dream wife, I didn't get my thing. And then you're like, oh, I'm miserable, I'm useless, I can't do anything, I can't serve in ministry, I can't do anything, I can't help any other people. Yet, you're right in God's plan. You're supposed to fix your eyes on Him and not your circumstances and keep going. But somehow you've got it like, oh, no, 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 no. This is the plan for my life. I've written it down. I know my five-step process. My, I, I took the Asian guides all the time. 20, 20 bullet-point lists of the women they want to marry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, like maybe God's plan is not your 20 list of people or things. You know, like when you partner with God, it's His plan. Jesus is that brilliant example. Why do you think it is that Jesus says in his final hours here on earth, if, if you could, take this cup away from me. Please take it, take it away. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. There's a sign right there that the story Jesus himself would maybe write for his life is not the story that God would write for Jesus' life. And he chooses the Father's story. So reauthoring means that you're going, hey, God, what do you want to do with the broken pieces of my life? What do you want? I'm, I only have these two fish and five loaves. I only have, the, I only have this to offer. What do you want to do with this, God? That's what reauthoring kind of looks like. Um, for me, a personal story is pastorage. Uh, I've just come back from a Philippines medical mission trip, you know, in, in May. Um, and some of you guys don't know this, but the primary reason for the last eight years why we go for the medical mission trip in the Philippines is to support FGA Shine, which was birthed over there. And Pastorage, um, I don't know if you know, uh, today I guess it's the day for origin stories. Um, you, you may not know this, but Pastorage went through a massive crisis in her life. She was a pastor at a big mega church. And then the senior pastor had an affair. And the whole church sort of disbanded. And Pastorage quit the church in like disgust really disillusioned uh, with her senior pastor and, and with how things go. Also, I mean, I, I don't want to get into the details, but Pastor G is a single mom of three kids. In that season, in that season, she approached Pastor Roland. I wasn't even senior pastor back then, right? In that season, she said, God has called me to plant a church to the poor, to people who can't support the church itself. So really, would FGA consider supporting church in a poor area? And then we asked Pastor G, hey, what things can we do to help you out besides just financial support and, and, and starting that church over there? And she said, hey, it, you know, they do a lot of medical missions in the Philippines. How about, we, uh, how about you send a couple of doctors over? We sent seven people over the first time. Fifty people went this time, right? Now, I want you to think about that because in what could be a devastating move that could throw somebody off from ministry and never want to be a pastor ever again or do any kind of thing that's good, she has turned that around and we saw 2,500 people this trip, all right? She's turned it around and she said, the broken pieces of my life, God is going to use it for good. We're going to back there again next year. There are, there are literally thousands of people that are going to be benefiting from the decision that Pastor G has made to reauthor that story of Satan may have intended something for evil, but God is going to use these broken pieces for good. And I hope you look with fresh eyes, with a new lens at the broken pieces of your life and you see the raw material for God to build a new mosaic. You see the raw material of what God can do with your humble, humble life. That's all of us. So that's R, reauthor. I is identifying change. So let's say, let's say you're going, let's say you're on board. You've taken stock. You've got a glimmer of hope. You're harvesting hope, 
right? You do an R and you go, this stops with me. I'm, it's stopping with me. This story that has happened in my life, it's not going to be the story that continues. I'm, it's going to change. I'm going to rewrite this story. I'm going to partner with God. I'm going to come humbly to God and go, God, what do you want me to do with my broken pieces and my broken life? You hit that stage. Now, it's that step by step in a new story. First, you need to identify, hey, what's going to change? So here's a good question to ask. What's changed between the old and the new? Okay, so now you're going to be a new person. I know your parents were really bad to you, and I know, I know your, your boss hates you, I know that, right? Uh, and you now want to reauthor. You're going to change something in your life. Well, what's going to be different about that? What's going to change about that? You know, um, it's so easy for us to slide back into our old ways. And so some of the things you know, that the curriculum advises is like you write down, you write down uh, things that you're thankful for in the new life. You write down blessings and things like that, right? But Joseph, I'll tell you, Joseph, one of the clues you have that Joseph has handed his life over to God, that Joseph has made that transition, it doesn't just come in chapter 50. You see, Joseph in when he gets sold to slavery, he goes, you know what? I'm, there's going to be something different between me and everybody else in the book of Genesis. He is diligent as a slave. You can imagine he would be not enthusiastic, having been betrayed by his brother, brought into a foreign land, and working for a stranger. Yet, he is so diligent, he gets promoted to oversee the whole house. Then, he gets betrayed and gets put into prison. And I want you to see the, the, um, a glimpse of Joseph's compassion. You know, in prison, he meets these two other prisoners who have dreams. So, the cupbearer and the baker. Uh, like, I don't have time to go into the story. Go and read it, right? But he meets these two. Do you know how he has this interaction uh, with them in, in um, Genesis 46 uh, and 7? Do you know how he first notices them? He says to his God, hey, I've noticed these two guys are very downcast. I've noticed that they're really sad. Hey, can I ask them What's wrong? So Joseph, he's already identifying things that are very, very different. He's like, he's, I'm doing things differently. And he's, you've got very clear examples of it in his story. Of how he reacts with compassion. It, it, it's a steady build up all the way to his epic um. His epic, I will feed my family and the nations of the world, right? You already see that in his life. He's already, bit by bit, identifying change. He's like, you know what? First, I'm going to change my attitude. Uh, this workplace, it sucks. It's terrible, okay? But I'm going to do my best at it. Hey, I'm in prison. This is really terrible. But you know what? Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look out for my fellow prisoners. All of this... While everybody else could classify Joseph's life as 
having been traumatized. Right? So um, I think what we can get from Joseph's life is like he identifies very tangible things that he's going to do differently from now on. So maybe it is, I'm not going to hold and dwell on that resentment in the past. Maybe it is that you, uh, you identify certain things that are going to uh, change about the new you. This is the new me. I'm going to, and then you go, you name some things. I'm going to be, go out of my way to be friendly at work, even though my whole workplace is terrible. My boss doesn't deserve my good effort. And then you go, you identify. This is what's going to change about me. For the last few years, I've just been grumpy at work. But this is the first thing that's going to change. The new me is not going to be grumpy at work or whatever it is. Yeah? Um, okay. So that is identifying change. In fact, C.S. Lewis has a good um, quote for it. You know, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you. I love C.S. Lewis. Oh, he's so cool. Um, the part that chooses into something. So the central part, he reckons the central part of you is the, the, the will, the, the part that chooses either this or that. The part that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. So when, by the time you take your whole life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all life long, you are slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish one. Each of us at every moment is progressing to one state or the other. So as you decide to reauthor your life, as you start to identify small individual things that are going to change, you're actually turning that part of you, that inside part of you that says, hey, you know what, I was this, this happened to me, but I'm going to take one more step. I'm going to take one more step in another way. I'm going, to, I'm going to progress each moment into one state to being more and more like a heavenly creature. Okay, so that's the curriculum that covers reauthoring and identifying change. I want to take the last five minutes, if I could, to put a modern-day lens over this whole thing of trauma. Because we all live now, not 3,000, 4,000 years ago and Joseph's time. There's a phenomenon that is happening now because of the pace of life and because of our easy access to information. In my head, I call it looking at metrics. But Uncle Roland looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? So, something about today's generation, and when I say today's generation, I just don't mean young people. I mean like old people like Roger as well. Yep. <laughs> Not funny? I thought it was really good. Like, everybody alive today is this generation, okay? We now really like looking at metrics to go, hey, how's it going? How's it going, right? So a good, a good analogy is we like checking the weather, okay? 
We like checking the weather. So, oh, is it rainy? Raining tomorrow? Is it rainy? Is it like, is it going to be sunshiny? What's the, is it, right? Because then you quickly, you're always checking the weather. You're checking the weather. You want these detailed maps by the hour, by the millimeter of the rainfall. And so then if it's slightly rainy, if it's going to be bad, if it's going to be cold, I'm not going to church. Oh, I'm not going to, the, I can't do this thing. You know why? Because I'm always, instead of my eyes fixed on Christ, instead of my eyes fixed on the future, my eyes are always fixed on. Tell me, tell me what it's like. And I see this in relationships. Of people, they're evaluating their dating relationships in one week. Oh, okay. This is it. Uh, you know, we went on a date, and he's got one hour to respond. And then you're like, the metrics this, how many swipes did I get? How many likes? How many clicks did I get? And so quick. People are evaluating their job. Somebody came up to me and said, I find my job unfulfilling. I'm like, oh, how long have you been working? One week. Every day, I did a journal to see how it was going in my new job. And for the whole week, it was bad. I'm like, oh my goodness, I worked in an accounting firm. All seven years were bad. <laughs> you know, like, oh my goodness. We are so... Today's modern lens, we need to say something about it because we have a tendency today to look and our window for looking at things is very short, is very short. Joseph was forgotten for two years. He still held up hope. Before Joseph's life turned around, he lived most of it in captivity. You're talking decades. Maybe you fall into the trap of today's temporary lens and you have assessed your life, whether you are a high schooler, a kid, a young adult, whether you're a retired person, whether you're in marriage and your, your, your kids have grown up and your marriage is not doing that great or whatever, wherever it is, maybe you've fallen into today's trap of constantly checking the weather. What's the weather like? What's the weather like? What's the weather like? It's like evaluating the church that you're in. Oh, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? How did it go? Well, the thing is, how it goes is actually more a factor of how long you've gone that journey. How long? Because the deep things that God wants to write in your life, the things that God wants to do in your life, the way God writes His stories, they go long and they go deep. That's why a promise in Genesis gets fulfilled with Jesus. Like, I, I, and maybe it's a little bit of frustration that is leaking out, and you know, please forgive me. But we counsel too many, and the window is too tiny. Because maybe God's plan is a season where he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you will get to know what God's comfort is like so that you can comfort others with that. Also, another thing about our high metric society is it's actually reduced our propensity, our willingness to step out in faith. I'm not going to go to a foreign country. I don't know what the weather is like over there. Or whatever it is. Like, yeah, okay, analogy. Food analogy. I can't go to this restaurant because it's not reviewed on like Urban Spoon or whatever it is. Like, people used to eat food at places that were not reviewed online. It's okay. 
Abraham went to a country and he couldn't Google it. <laughs> it's okay. God could take you to places and do things with your life and your ministry and your gifts and your family and your talents. And you may not even have any information or metrics or the things of this to see. And that's why it's called faith. And so I want to point to the faithfulness of God. You know, we just finished our series on faith versus fear, right? And we saw Abraham, sometimes he acted in faith, and other times he was like so scared, like I can't trust God for this, so I'm going to take it in my own hands. If you are going to reauthor your life, if you're not going to let the things of the past weigh you down and just wreck the next 10, 20 decades of your life. There has to be an element where you step in faith into a faithful God. That it must be there. In fact, faithful means worthy to put your faith in. If somebody's faithful, then you can put your trust, you can put your faith in. God is a faithful God. Here's... Um, I'm going to end with this, and I want to invite our uh, worship team up. Because we've got maybe five minutes. I want to do like a ending five-minute song for all of us. Um, but I want to uh, just read this passage if I could. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That means... Don't worry about the weather report today. Don't worry about the weather report tomorrow. Because God is still on the throne. Okay? So, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And then, Hebrews, the Bible, goes on in the next verse. Why are these things linked? I'll tell you why it's linked. Because when we're by ourselves... And we're imagining things in our head, and we're reading weather reports by ourselves, it doesn't bode well for faith and faithfulness. You get sidetracked. So Hebrews goes, let us then consider how we can stir up one another, how we can encourage one another to not waver, to keep going, to fight the good fight, to, to allow God to author our lives. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some to skip home group, to skip church, to skip catching up, to skip prayer meeting, to skip reading the Bible, to skip, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Worship, corporate worship that we do together is one of the ways that we can keep ourselves not wavering. That means we sing songs that remind us we to fix our eyes on God. We get together. We're all together. We all Our voices all carry together. And we are like encouraging one another as the body of Christ. Hey, don't, the world intends evil, but God intends it for good. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. God wants to write your life together with you. God wants to write it. Not your own thoughts, not Satan's thoughts. God, God, God. And that's why worship is so good because it helps us to fix our eyes on God. 
how many moments in the week do we have that are like that? So if I can invite you all, we're going to stand. And Brian's going to lead us in a song. And I want us as we worship together, I want you to think, God, will you reauthor with me? I know for some of you, today it's just a reminder, right? It's a reminder that God is faithful. It's a reminder that He has good plans for your life. It's a reminder that He can be trusted even if you don't have the metrics right in front of you. And so during this worship song, I want to encourage you to have that time with God where you're maybe recommitting. You're identifying things that are going to change in your life. And maybe some of you are going to make some commitments. You're going to commit to pray and maybe pre-service prayer before you come in on a Sunday. You're going to commit to switch off your phone when it's time to um, hear from God. You're going to commit to having a different attitude at work. You're going to commit to spending time with God every day. Whatever it is, something needs to change and you need to identify that thing that is going to change. Friend. stories of what they think your life I've heard a tender whisper 